Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. About 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to take a mission trip with the youth group to New York City on a mission trip, and uh, we were in a 15-passenger van with no maps on our phone. I think I just barely had a cell phone at that time. I think maybe GPS was a thing. And we had to use one of these to get around. Now, of course, this is a map of Ohio. We stayed in Queens and drove a 15-passenger van in Manhattan, which is a huge mistake. Don't do that. But one day, when we finished up with our mission trip, we had to go back to Queens to our mission house to stay. It was me and three other adults and eight teenagers in a 15-passenger van And none of us knew how to read the map. We hit all five boroughs of New York City trying to get home that night. You would have think one of us would have been able to figure out where we were and where we were going. I am proud to say that... that, uh, All week long, driving that 15-passenger van in the heart of Manhattan, didn't get a scratch on it until the last day when I tried to park it at the mission house we were staying at. You know, we are called to make disciples. That is Jesus' calling to us. And he tells us what a disciple is, and he shows us how to do it. And then he gives us instructions, kind of like a map on how to get to point A to point B to lead somebody to Jesus. Over the next four weeks, we are going to look at the map Jesus gives us to teach people how to be a disciple that makes disciples. We're going to start today in Mark chapter 1. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that Jesus has given us a map to follow to know how to make disciples, would you open up our hearts and minds uh, so that we can learn the map you give us? The Holy Spirit can bring about a change within us to obey and learn, follow, and imitate. Lord, would you teach us today from your scripture? And then, Lord, convict us through your power and your strength and your courage to go and make disciples. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. If we're going to start with the Jesus-making map and following the journey he sets out for us, we're going to need to start with the key of the map, the disciple definition. You know, if if you don't know how to tell somebody what a disciple is, you're not going to probably be able to make a disciple. So if we can tell others what a disciple is, we need to use the definition Jesus gave for a disciple. Uh, There's lots of different definitions of disciple, and if we passed out a a note card to everybody in the room and we said, hey, what define a disciple? Well, we would probably end up using uh, 
slight variations sometimes and sometimes drastically different definitions of a disciple. But if we can all be on the same page as a church, knowing and understanding the terms Jesus uses for a disciple, we're going to be more likely to be able to make a disciple. So today we're going to start with the definition of disciple. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, um, this is how Jesus defines a disciple. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In this passage of Scripture, we find how Jesus defines disciple. The first, definition, the first part of the definition for Jesus, it has to do with that phrase, come and follow me. Now, in, in our New Testament, in our translation, we see that phrase, come and see, come and follow me, a couple of different times. In John chapter 1, uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he points Jesus out to his disciples. He said, that's the Messiah. And so some of John's disciples started following Jesus. And uh, one, one of them, named Andrew, he says, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, well, come and see. Now, that invitation, come and see, was just like, the invitation to just show up out of curiosity. Just come and look and, and investigate. Just out of curiosity, come and see. A little bit further in chapter one, uh, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he says, Philip, uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. He comes from Nazareth. It's kind of like saying he comes from Michigan. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Just kidding. And Philip gives the same invitation. He says, well, just come and see. And it's this, it's this curiosity. Just show up and take a look. But when Jesus says in Mark and he says in Matthew, when he says to those disciples who are fishing, come and follow me, it's no longer an invitation just to show up out of curiosity. That is a command. Come follow, learn, and imitate and do it right now. Jesus is calling us, everyone within the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, he is commanding us to come follow him, follow him, learn from him, imitate him. And it's a command to anyone who knows anything about Jesus. If you don't know anything about Jesus, the invitation, just come and see, just look. But if you know something about Jesus, it's a command, follow me right now. When I was growing up, I was kind of taught like that was the first time Jesus had saw those guys and he just called. And when Jesus calls, you just throw down your stuff, you start following him. Well, in the timeline of Jesus, he had already spent some time with them. They had already come and investigated out of curiosity, but now the command is to commitment. They had seen Jesus do some miraculous things. They'd seen him heal. They'd heard him preach, but they were still fishermen in their jobs. But when he gave them the command, after they had seen those things, after they had spent weeks with him, just out of curiosity, they said, we've got to make this commitment. A disciple of Jesus is going to obey that command to follow him, learn from him, and imitate him. They're going to obey in such a way that they can be guided by Jesus. A disciple is guided by Jesus. They follow, they learn, they imitate. Disciple is guided by Jesus. If you could imagine going on a trip where you're going to climb a mountain. 
Now, not just a trail, but actually go climbing. I have almost no experience in climbing. I would need a mountain guide, a climbing guide to help me know how to climb a mountain. Now, a good guide is going to pick a route that is suitable for my experience. A good guide is going to show me the way to go and maybe even tell me the exact steps to take. Step in the places I'm stepping. Grab the handholds I'm grabbing. And a good mountain guide is going to tell me what I need to bring and what I don't need to bring. Like you carry too much stuff, you're going to get tired along the way. You carry too little stuff, you're compromising the safety of the whole mountain climbing team. Jesus is our guide. Just like a mountain guide, he tells us what we need to pick up. He tells us what we need to lay down. He tells us and shows us the steps we need to follow, and we can even step in his path. Jesus shows us the way. In fact, he is the way. The scripture says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to the instructions our, 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 Jesus, our guide Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. As our guide, Jesus is telling us the things we got to pick up and the things we got to lay down. And the thing we pick up is his cross to follow him. The thing we lay down is our own agenda, our own life, our own desires, and we pick up his desires. Well, Jesus is the wisest person that has ever lived. He has seen it all. He is the way. He knows what he's talking about. We are called to be guided by him, to trust him that he is going to tell us which steps to take. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and it does mean it is going to be costly. That's why he says, count the costs. But it is so worth it. A disciple is guided by Jesus. They learn from him. They also, uh, they follow him. They also learn from him. Virgil Hawkins, he's the preacher at the largest, fastest-growing church in Port William. He uh, told me, told us, our prayer group the other day, that uh, he got to go on a fishing trip in Florida, and they went to Lake Okeechobee. It's the largest freshwater lake in Florida. I think I said that correctly. He said it was so vast and so big that it kind of overwhelmed him. He needed a guide. He hired a fishing guide that knew the lake. Virgil's been fishing his whole life. He loves fishing. And he said, I needed a guy to reteach me how to fish because this was an area I had never been before. He said, I felt like a little kid. The guide was taking us out. He was showing me how to bait the hook. He was showing me how to cast, and he was showing me where to cast. He said, I learned a lot on that trip. He said, the, the, the lake was so overwhelming that uh, I just couldn't take it all in. The guide said, well, just take a, just a section of the lake. We just need to learn a section of the lake. We don't have to know the whole lake to go fishing today. We're just going to take a section. He said, you see those reeds over there? Those reeds, see how it's different from the grass around it? He said, those reeds only grow in sand. And I know, because I've been fishing this lake a long time, that the fish will spawn in sand where they won't spawn in some other places. So we're going to cast our line near those reeds that are growing in sand. 
He said the bait we're using, it's on a bobber, and this bait only attracts a certain kind of fish, and I know that if you see the bobber go down the water, count three seconds before you try to set the hook. He said later they used a different bait, and the guy said, well, this is a different type of fish, and if the bobber goes down, this time you count five seconds before you set the hook. See, the guide knows the area, knows the terrain. He's done it before, and he can give good instructions. When we follow Jesus, we allow ourselves to be guided by him. He not only tells us the path, but he tells us how to do it. He shows us how to do it where we get to imitate him. See, we we follow, we learn, and we imitate, but we need that guide. And we have to allow ourselves to be guided by Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. When we, when we were making this map, there was a, a lot of people that helped make the map, but I had the opportunity to cut this little section out where we make these flippy things. And uh, Ed Blouse, he, was, he came in, he decided he'd help me. And I was like, I don't need Ed to help me. And Ed came over, he saw what I was doing, and he kept making suggestions. And I kept, like, ignoring, and then I'd take the suggestion. And every time I took the suggestion, man, he was right, and it worked better. Why wouldn't I just been humble enough to every suggestion he made, just take it and try what he said, since he seems to know what he's doing, and he knew that I didn't. See, when we start following Jesus, you got to believe me when I tell you he knows what he's doing. And most of the time, we don't. You know, Jesus sees the entire future. We can't even see into the next five minutes. He knows every step we need to take, and most oftentimes, he just tells us our next step we need to take. But if we trust him, he will guide us. He will teach us. We can learn from him, and we can imitate him. This is part of the being a disciple. It's the definition of being a disciple A disciple is guided by Jesus. And if you spend time with Jesus, and you obey what he says, and you follow what he does, he is going to change you. Which is the second part of this definition in this passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Come follow me. Remember, that's a command to follow and learn and imitate, to be, allow yourself to be guided by Jesus. Come follow me. And then he says this profound statement. It's a profound couple of words. I will change you. I will make you. Who does the making in this? Who does the making? It's Jesus makes you. See, a disciple is remade by Jesus. This kind of happens in, in two ways positionally and progressively. Positionally is this idea that when Jesus remakes you, when he changes you, when he transforms you, there's a part of that change that is instantaneous. When you start following Christ, he instantly moves you from the kingdom of darkness, being an enemy with God and a child of the devil, because there's only two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. He instantly moves you into the kingdom of light. And he makes you instantly a child of God. He immediately gives you a new spiritual family, 
new spiritual brothers and sisters in Jesus, new spiritual parents and grandparents in Jesus, and if you are, as you mature, you find out you have new spiritual children that you need to help bring along the way too. He instantly puts you in this position. He puts you in a position of forgiveness where God looks at you and he declares you not guilty. That's positionally, instantly changes you in some aspects. He instantly changes who your identity is. And there's evidence of this in your life. One of the evidence is you, you begin to show that your life has been changed by Jesus. That's one of the evidence. Uh, that you, you can start seeing some of the change that has happened. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean you're, you're perfect. It just means something has changed in you. It doesn't mean you get everything right. It just means you, your friends, your family, they notice something different about you. From the way you speak to the way you act, there are some changes that are noticed. There's another change that happens that, that is evidence of the positional change is that you are in favor of Jesus. You are for Jesus. You are favorable toward Jesus. See, before you're changed, you might think he's a good teacher, but you're not going to follow him. You might think he, he was a great man, but you're not going to follow him. But when the change happens, you want to follow him. And you're favorable toward Jesus, and you are unfavorable towards sin. These are evidences of the change that happens when you begin following Jesus. And you, you, you're no longer there out of curiosity. You're there out of commitment. And that's a positional change. Some of that happens instantly. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit begins when you fo- start following Jesus. But there's another change that is part of being a disciple, being a lifelong learner of Jesus. Disciple kind of means learner, and it happens over the entire life that you have following Jesus. It's called progressive change, progressive sanctification, being changed slowly over time. In fact, the scripture seems to indicate that you're going to be changed. The largest change that's going to happen in your life is going to take your whole lifetime to achieve because you're going to be changed into the character of Jesus Christ. There are different words that talk about, there's different tenses that talk about salvation in the Bible. It says you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. And it's talking about this change that's going to happen in your entire life as you follow Jesus the entire way. He is gradually, over time, as you spend time being guided by him, changing you. Timothy Keller, one of the preachers I really am impressed with and learn a lot from, he says that's one of the the beauties of heaven in his mind, is the person that we are designed to become in Christ. We're gradually changed into that person, and then we arrive in heaven face-to-face with Jesus. We're changed to be like him, and then we have thousands of years to continue, continually develop the best qualities about ourselves. All the qualities that we want to be known for. We want to be known to be kind and merciful and loving and gracious. And for thousands of years, those qualities keep developing. And he says the opposite is in, in what he imagines hell is like. So he said he's known people who are 60, 70 years old and they've taken their lifetime and they've spent 60 and 70 years of life to become angrier and more bitter as they've lived. 
and they don't know Christ, and then when their time comes and they go to judgment, they end up in hell, and then they spend the next thousand years becoming more angry and more bitter. And he said, regardless of the pain and the suffering, the fire, the darkness, it's just growing increasingly more angry and bitter and alone for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And he said, I can't imagine being 70 years old and I've spent 70 years getting more angry and more bitter but doing it for a thousand years. He said, I can't imagine what type of hell that would be. We're progressively changed to look like Jesus when we spend time with Jesus being guided by him. He, a disciple is remade to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. And we spend time with Jesus using the tools that he gives us that you already know. That you've, If you've been to Sunday school, you've been to church, uh, just about any amount of time, you've probably heard somebody say, learn to read the Bible, learn to pray, spend time in a group. Those are the tools that Jesus gives us to spend time with him. Uh, just, just this year, I've been doing a study on Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the uh, largest chapter in the entire Bible. I've never studied it in any de- depth. It's 176 verses. It's an acrostic poem built on the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. I don't know Hebrew, but I'm learning the alphabet. Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet gets eight verses. And so it ends up being... 22 stanzas, eight verses each, 176 verses long, and each stanza teaches its own little section about how you can grow closer, know God, and how it can change you. The psalmist is writing this acrostic poem about the beauty of God, the beauty of God's Word. A couple of weeks ago, I was studying one of the stanzas, and the Asbury revival was going on. And it was eight verses about what God calls revival. People seeking his face with all of their heart, turning from their sin, and obeying with all of their might the word of God. That's when revival breaks out. And I thought, well, isn't it interesting that I'm reading a passage of Scripture that describes the time and the request of our prayers? The next section, it it changed me again. It, It had this phrase. It said, I'm glad I was afflicted because now I follow you. And I meditate on that. That seems so strange that the psalmist would write, I'm glad I went through a troublesome suffering time because now I'm back with you, Lord. And I could just see this psalmist writing and looking back over his shoulder at his life, recognizing that he went through a terrible trial, a suffering in his life. He didn't like it. He didn't want to do it again. But he noticed that God walked with him through that, that suffering that entire time. And it made him draw closer to God, lean more on God, have to entrust himself more on God. And it, it transformed him. It changed him. And so he didn't like the suffering, he doesn't want to do it again, but he's glad he went through it because it drew him closer to God. And that changed me. Reading the Word of God, pointing us to Jesus, transforms us. When we spend time with Jesus, it transforms us. When we spend time with Jesus using the tools he gives us, the Holy Spirit used those tools to transform us. That's why we're supposed to learn to read our Bible. And some of the Bible's complicated, That's why we need other Christians to gather around to teach us how to read the Bible and what we're reading. In in Acts, I think it's, is it chapter 9 with Philip and the Ethiopian? 
Chapter 8, the Ethiopian is traveling away. He's reading the scripture of Isaiah. Philip's riding, running alongside of the chariot. And he says to the Ethiopian, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I understand it unless somebody guides me? And Philip, who had spent time with Jesus, hopped up in the cart and he started telling the Ethiopian everything Jesus about the scripture that points to Jesus. In fact, he told him how to be saved. He told him how to connect with Jesus. And in the next passage, it says the Ethiopian dropped the cart and he said, here's some water, why can't I be baptized too? And it began in that person's life, God instantly changes him to be in the family of God and then progressively changes him the longer and more often he spends time with Jesus. A disciple who is guided by Jesus is remade to be like Jesus in character. This is part of the definition that we have to explain to people when we teach them how to be disciples. And finally, come follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is sent by Jesus. Now when we think of fishing we oftentimes, most oftentimes, think of casting that line. And that can be a lonely hobby. It can be an isolated hobby. But when Jesus was talking to his fishermen, when he was calling his disciples, commanding him to follow him, they were working as a team. In fact, one of the passages of Scripture described Peter and Andrew casting their net into the water. As in, the net was so large, they had to do it together. That's not a way I've really ever fished. I've seen it done. But Peter and Andrew, James and John, they would oftentimes fish together as a team. Disciples are sent. And whereas we need to be able to explain it individually, how to follow Jesus, and individually we need to be able to give a definition of what a disciple is, individually we need to be able to take somebody to Jesus and teach them everything he's commanded us, Most often, Jesus tells us to do it as a team. When he met with his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, as you go, but it's a plural you. As we go, we're supposed to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and together teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. And this makes so much sense. When we get in Sunday school or small group and we're studying passages of Scripture, every person in that group has a different life experience with Jesus, a different way they have obeyed the words of God, and a different result how God has been changing them. And each person gets to pour individually into the new person to bring them to Jesus. I like how Jacob is leading a discipleship group and somebody in the discipleship group didn't show up. So that everybody in the group sent that one person a note. They, and that, that group invited that person to come back. It was a group effort to draw that person to them. Brenda Babb, who works at the hub back there, just last month she had a stroke. And then also in the last couple of months, both of her brothers have died. She told me just this morning, she said, Dale, I am, I am blown away by the love of our congregation, the love of our church She said, I've received notes, I've received phone calls, I've been given encouraging words, people brought me dinner, people even gave me gift cards to go out to eat. I said, Brenda, if you can't go, if you don't have the strength to go out to eat and you need to get rid of those gift cards, I'd be happy to take them off your hand. She said, no, Dale, you don't understand. She said, 
She said she's already used them. She said, she said, this church has come alongside me to help me. See, a disciple of Jesus is sent, but we're not sent alone. We're commanded to do it as a team. To go get people and make disciples that make disciples. And Jesus starts with this great definition when he calls his first disciples. And he teaches them where to step. He teaches them how to do it. And he passes on. There's this exchange of information. There's an apprenticeship going on. And then he takes the disciples to where there's a need. And he says, now you go do what I've been doing. And it is amazing, it blows my mind, that in just under three years, Jesus taught a group of guys how to be like him so that when he left, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to go teach and change the entire world. In John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying, he said, Lord, my job here is complete. Now, this is before he went to the cross. Well, what job was complete? He had trained his disciples on how to make disciples. So after he died and rose from the dead and he sent them on mission, their job was to go make disciples that make disciples. And it's been reproducing itself every century since. And so we have to ask our question of ourselves. Where are we under this definition of Jesus? This definition of a disciple of Jesus. Where are we on this discipleship pathway? Are we allowing ourselves, humbling ourselves, to be guided by the instruction of Christ, where we obey what he says, and we obey quickly, where we turn from our old way and we jump onto his way, because he is the way, the truth, and the life? Are we spending time with him long enough in his word and in prayer and in groups, are we spending enough time with Jesus through the tools he gave us to be changed by him, to become more like him? And what part are you playing in the role of this church making disciples? How are you participating in being sent? Because this is part of the definition of who you're supposed to be. We can break down it even further if we want. I've got questions to ask. On a scale of being guided by Jesus with one side being nobody tells me what to do and the other side where it says I am sold out and committed to following Jesus every moment of my life. I just want to do whatever he tells me to do. Where do you fall on that scale? I know oftentimes I fall in the middle. I, I follow, I want to follow, but I'm easily distracted. I have good days and bad days, but I still try to follow. He's pulling me and commanding me to go to maturity. Sold out. Obey Jesus in every moment. I got a long way to go. But he's progressively changing me. What about being made? What about a disciple is remade by Jesus? Where do you fall on that scale? Can you look at your life on that scale? And one side would be this. I, I noticed no change in my life since I started following Jesus. And the other side, all the way on the other side to maturity, it says, it's becoming a habit for me to lay down my own agenda and take up his agenda more and more often. 
I find myself falling in the middle again. I take three steps forward, two steps back. I can definitely list areas in my life where I have been changed. But I'm not all the way there where I lay down my agenda every time. I got a long way to go. What about sent by Jesus? Where am I participating? You know, one side of the scale is I don't give any resources. I don't give any time. I don't give any money. I never have told anybody about Jesus or given my testimony. All the way to the other side, I am sold out and I use my time and my resources regularly to make disciples. Where do we fall on that scale? You know, I I fall somewhere in the middle. I oftentimes know what I should do, but then I don't step up and do it. I oftentimes try, but sometimes I'm confused at what part I'm supposed to play. But Jesus is always calling us to maturity. And the more I allow myself to be guided by him, guided by his word, guided by the church, guided by the group that speaks oftentimes for Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the more he changes me and the more I'm on mission sent by Jesus. Where do you fall in that? If you examine yourself with any type of honesty, you probably fall like me somewhere in the middle You followed Christ, but you're not completely sold out in every area. You know what Jesus told us to do when we recognize within ourselves that we fall short of his perfection? He doesn't say try harder. He says, come to me. There's a disciple maker named Bill Hull. He loves telling this story. He he, he gets to teach sometimes at university. He was teaching at Biola uh, University. And he started his class. He handed out the syllabus and then explained what would happen over the next 15 weeks. And then he ended the class this way. He said, your main job at the end of every class is to go find one person to teach everything that I've just taught you. Because at the end of 15 weeks, the person that you've taught what I've taught you has to come in and take your final for you. And your grade is going to be determined based on how well you taught them what I've taught you. And he said every student in the class, eyes got really big. And then he had to break it to them. I'm not technically allowed to do that at this university. The university won't let me let somebody else take the test for you. But isn't that what Jesus called us to do? Go teach one person everything that he's taught us to do. What if our salvation, what if your salvation was based on how well you've taught somebody else to follow Jesus and they had to take the test for you? Praise God that our salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. But we get to live being a disciple guided by Jesus, remade by Jesus, and sent by Jesus to teach others how to be guided, remade, and sent. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.